This podcast is supported by the Rebecca Vassi Trust, a UK-based charity which promotes the art of narrative photography through granting bursary awards to up-and-coming photographers and funding public education projects like this one. This podcast has full editorial independence, and the views expressed in this series are not necessarily those of the Trust. Welcome to Season 2 of the Photoethics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week, I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today, in episode number 11, we'll be talking with Tamara Abdul-Hadi about what we have seen. Tamara Abdul-Hadi is an Iraqi photographer whose work is concerned with the historic and contemporary representation of her own culture in its diversity. As well as being a photographer, Tamara is an educator who has given photography workshops in Palestine, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, the UAE, Kuwait, and Tunisia. In 2016, Tamara, along with her collective Rawiya, presented a documentary photography storytelling workshop in Gaza. Her work has been published in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Wall Street Journal, and more. Tamara was a founding member of Rawiya Collective, a cooperative of female photographers in the Middle East. She's also a member of We Are the Medium, an artist collective comprised of interdisciplinary artists working independently. Her photographs have been exhibited internationally in countries including the UAE, Lebanon, France, the UK, and the US. So I wonder if we could start maybe by you just telling me a little bit about the type of work that you do. Yeah, so um, I, I consider myself a documentary photographer and my main area of concern, I guess, in terms of my work is mainly the representation of my culture and its diversity. You know, as an Arab documentary photographer, what I really love to do and what really like drives my work is getting to know people, getting to know subcultures, getting to know specifically those marginalized within my own community. And what I do with my work is I create opportunities to interact with and learn from these groups, which are often subjected to stereotyping and misrepresentation interchangeably. So what I do is concentrate on sort of getting to know these communities and in a way telling their stories, but learning from them. I mean, learning from them first and foremost, and presenting them through my, you know, my own lens and my own curiosity. Mm. I can imagine that it can be quite difficult to access communities that are maybe traditionally marginalized or sort of viewed as something other outside of the sort of dominant culture. How do you find that process of gaining access, gaining trust, yeah, to do something like a photography project with them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always nerve-wracking and difficult when you want to sort of get to know a community. And for me, the number one thing really is 
you know, my intention, where I'm coming from. If I know that my intention is genuine and that I truly just want to, you know, get to know the community and photograph them, then I hope that that shows through, you know, in my demeanor and the way that I introduce myself, you know. I can say, for example, let's say a project that I worked on for a few years was I was photographing barbershops in Palestine and in Lebanon. And the way that I, when I first wanted to, and and it wasn't just any barbershops, I was concentrating more on barbershops in refugee camps because I was curious and really inspired by the specific hairstyles they had and the way that they did self-care every week in the barbershops. And those communities really inspired me. And so kind of gaining access to that was, you know, it was nerve-wracking at the beginning. I was like, as a woman, how do I fit into a barbershop? So, you know, for me, it's just taking a chance, you know, walking around, introducing myself, introducing the project, why I'm doing it. You know, I would say, for example, you know, I'm a photographer. I'm really curious and inspired by the hairstyles that you guys are creating. I'm inspired by you as a hairdresser. You know, your work is your art, just Mm -hmm. like I consider mine is my own art so there's this way of trying to connect with and bringing them to understand why I'm there and so of course there's always people that are like oh no you know thanks for your interest but I'm you know we're okay we don't want to be photographed and other people that end up embracing you and those are where you build the relationships over time and and how you kind of become a part of the community in your own way you know you'll be that photographer that's like Oh, yeah, that's the photographer that comes. She's that Iraqi photographer that comes and sits at the barbershop for hours and, you know, knows everyone (laughs) and then keeps in touch. And, you know, the relationship usually continues over time. So it's really like it's the whole process from beginning of like, you know, the intention, why I'm doing it, explaining it. If they appreciate that, then there's usually the collaboration starts. Mm hmm. I feel like, you know, obviously identity is a big theme in a lot of your work and how people self-represent versus how people are represented by others. And I guess I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how you approach that in your work. Yeah, I mean, the idea of, you know, my own photography, though I photograph people and so I represent them in a way, is also my own way of self-representing my own experiences and, you know, like knowledge through these communities and these people that I have met, photographed and come across. I wanted to say, you know, like if there was one moment as a photographer that really made me think about representation, and I know that, you know, a lot of photographers, of documentary photographers, photographers that work in journalism, I think a lot of them have this moment where they have this kind of, it stops them. And for me, it was in 2009, I was in Palestine for the first time. I had gone on a, it was supposed to be a short trip. And I had gone in with this organization that was teaching, or not teaching, but kind of giving art workshops in Bethlehem. And we had come in from outside Outside of Palestine was a group of different people. I had been invited to join this group and we had gone in and we, you know, we started giving these workshops to these young Palestinian kids. I was at an orphanage 
And I had been accustomed to giving workshops in different cities. I had been doing that for a while. So, But this was my first time in Palestine. At some point during the beginning of this trip, after we had gone maybe once or twice to the orphanage and started giving our classes, we had been invited to be given a tour of the Dehesha refugee camp in Bethlehem. And the tour was given to us by this young man who was like the head of a community center there in the refugee camp. And he was walking around and he basically broke down Palestine from like, you know, pre-1948 till then, till 2009. And it was very informative. And I remember like walking around with this group of people. We were, you know, some of us were Arabs, some of us were not. We were a mix from different places. And I felt like a lot of the people around me as we were walking around and this man was like, you know, giving us this amazing class, you know, he's teaching us about Palestine. A lot of people were like taking photos of people around the the refugee camps and uh, the camp we were in. And they were taking photos of like, you know, this old man sitting on a chair, this like, you know, and I started feeling, and I, as a photographer, you know, my camera was with me because at that time I carried it around a lot, but not only did I not take my camera out, but I was like, I don't know if I, I'm like, I feel so uncomfortable right now with this group of people. You know, I'm like this man that's, you know, sitting outside his house could be my uncle, that woman putting out the laundry could be my grandmother. I'm like, why? You know, it's just, there's this discomfort. And I felt discomfort and I sort of, you know, moved forward the next day, continued, you know, giving the workshop. And then a few weeks later, I got an assignment because I, you know, I worked as a photographer. And I got this assignment to go to the Balata refugee camp in Nablus. It was through an organization, a Palestinian organization. And I went in and they're like, you know, we need you to take photos around the camp and this and that. And I started taking photos and this woman came up to me and she's like, she starts screaming at me. She's like, you've been taking photos of us for like six years. You know, she's like, and nothing has changed. And I was, just, oh, I felt really, I mean, I know that it wasn't specifically towards me, but I mean, it's me or the camera plus all of the, you know, hundreds of photographers who have come in and taken photos mm-hmm. of the Balata refugee camp, which is this woman's home, right? Mm-hmm. She lives there. And so this idea of like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And I actually, for a little bit, put the camera down and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I taking these pictures? Do I have the right to take these pictures? You know, all these questions that are very important, I think, that we need to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. Around that time, I had gone to a photo festival in Derby in the UK And I ended up seeing this amazing presentation of this project called the Handsworth Self-Portrait from uh, 1979. And it was these three guys living in Birmingham that had set up this sort of like outdoor photo booth and had invited people from this, you know, I think it was a lot of immigrants and a lot of I guess at the time there were a lot of immigrants that lived in that area and they sort of put this up because they wanted to kind of invite people to photograph themselves. So they set up this camera and it was with a, you know, shutter release cord and, and I got so inspired. I was like, this is one of the first times I've actually seen, you know, photographers or journalists inviting people to be like, you know, you take your photo, 
like let's sort of I'm not even gonna give you the camera I'm gonna leave it there you're gonna do what you want you're gonna press the shutter when you're ready and it's that idea of sort of inclusion and collaboration in a way like I think that that was sort of the idea of what that was supposed to be and I remember being inspired by it I went back to Palestine and I said to the guy I think I saw one of the guys from the project I think it was Derek Bishton that was his name and and I said you know what I think I'm gonna try this in Palestine like this is really inspiring to me so I went and I did and I set it up and I I put the shutter release cord and it was really, really, really beautiful because there was... And I also loved the video running. I thought I would leave the video running because I thought it would also be interesting to think about the moment before and after someone, you know, clicks the shutter. But again, it's strange because it's like, you know, I'm there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like an intervention. So mm-hmm. it's not like the camera comes out of nowhere. So I'm a stranger. The camera also is strange. It's like in the middle of the street. It's obviously not like self-portraiture. Obviously, these are not... They are self-portraits, but they are more of a community sort of intervention, sort of... It was an exercise, I think. It was an exercise for me, for them. I then went back and I did a sort of another intervention where I projected the video that I had done with the photos onto the wall in the area so people saw themselves. And it was... Part of me figuring out what I wanted to do and why I had decided to be a photographer. And maybe that sort of way of giving people the power of representation, in a sense, obviously it's not. It's on the experiment of it and the way that it was put together. But there was this thing from me doing it that gave me this feeling of, okay, now I can really try to think about why I'm taking photos and what I'm trying to say through the photos and how actually I can represent people. It's not like I'm taking away their power by representing them. You know, you can amplify voices through photography. You can do the opposite of that, right? You can do the opposite of taking away power. You can, depends, like in photography, it's, you know, there's so much that can be talked about in terms of truth and representation and what's real and what's not. And at the end of the day, for me, like when I look at a body of work of a photographer or I like look at work that I'm interested in, it's how do I feel looking at it? Is that connected to, or does that fit in with their own intention? I think that's all really interesting. And I think there's so much to unpack in that. But something that you just said there about, you know, when you're looking at a body of work and you're how you are viewing it, and you were talking earlier about the importance of intention. And I guess I'm wondering, does the intention of the photographer come through visually in the photographs? Or is it something that you get elsewhere from other information, from the captioning, from the background, from knowing the photographer? Or can you see it? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. I've been thinking about that recently. And I think, I do believe sometimes you can feel the intention. At least I have felt like I did. By looking at someone's work, I can sort of, I can compare also sometimes when I look at work, I can be like, you know what, I felt comfortable looking at this. I was like, it felt safe. I don't know, it's a way of 
I felt the connection maybe of photographer and subject, the presentation of the work as a, like a body of work, like either a series or a book, you know, when you look through it. At the end of that, like, how do you feel? Do you feel like you were presented something softly, warmly, honestly, or were you presented it like, you know, from far away, sort of a feeling of objectification. I mean, I really do believe you can see that. I mean, it's possible sometimes you could get it wrong, but I think I can. I think I can feel the intention in the work. And of course, when it comes to, I mean, text with work is also very, it can really go both ways. It can change the way you receive the work. It can change what you felt when you look at, if it's a person, you know, like if they're portraits. I also really, like for me, I really feel more connected to work, I guess, where I feel like, you know, or I read that the person has spent a lot of time in the area. I mean, of course, I'm a huge supporter of, you know, locals telling story of their region and of their people. No, that's not saying someone from outside can't come and do it. And mm. I mean, it happens a lot. But most of the time, there's a feeling and like personalness that you can feel. Like there is a, there is something that you can't describe. I think, but you can feel when somebody tells you their story. You know. Mm. Yeah, and. After that experience that you had in the refugee camp, what changed about your practice? So you had that experience and then you went away and you did the community intervention. And then what was the result of that whole process on what you're doing now? I mean, I think that was for me the beginning of asking questions and being critical about what I'm doing. And that also started me interested in looking at photographic histories and how they shape a lot of the way that we see things now and a lot of the way of how we photograph things now. There's a lot to unpack and a lot to think about in terms of these sort of repeating visual regimes that keep repeating themselves and we ingest them, but it's because we are used to seeing them. We're not used to really seeing things that show you about a certain thing. I mean, I talk personally about, you know, the Arab world. I talk personally about the, you know, Swana region, Southwest Asian, North Africa region, because that's where I'm from and that's where, you know, my roots lie where I live but I think that also it made me look deeper into my own background I think like at that point thinking more about my roots in Iraq you know because for a while obviously through like the 2000s Iraq was hard to you know there was a lot going on there that was painful so after I think 2011 2012 things started a bit for me, opening up to wanting to go and spend mm -hmm. time there and sort of get to know certain things about, you know, my roots. And then started thinking about how is Iraq 
you know, how does Iraq fit into photographic histories? And what have we been used to seeing in terms of the visual regime of Iraq? And what have we been taking in visually about the country? And so one of the main things that I was really curious about was the marshlands and the Iraqi marshlands. And, you know, as a young person living in the diaspora, I had a book that I think a lot of people, a lot of Iraqis have, especially living in the diaspora, and it's called Return to the Marshes by Young and Wheeler from, I think, 1977. And so this book was really important to me and affected me a lot as a young person and then as a young photographer. It introduced me to the marshes and introduced me to this area in Iraq and created my visual imagination of it as a young age. And the people that gave me this were, you know, Gavin Young and Nick Wheeler. And at that point, I started thinking about, and before them, Wilfred Thissiger, who is, you know, a self-proclaimed Arabian traveler uh, who wrote many books about the region. And so... I started looking deeper, you know, and I went in myself. I didn't realize how affected I had been by this. And so when I went, I saw, you know, basically what they saw, right? But like 50 years later, and I was like, you know, I wanted to photograph it, but while at the same time, you know, understanding my positionality as someone who is not from the marshes, who's someone that didn't grow up there, I speak the language and I have roots in the marshes, but they're very, you know, like they're not present. They're not in now. So with that positionality of knowing, you know, at the end of the day that I am also kind of an outsider I wanted to go and photograph them myself. And in a way, I was like, I want to photograph the same place that these guys went to, right? And that they photographed and that we have only really, if we hadn't been there, we have only seen through their lens. Mm. So with this new project that I'm working on, Reimagining Return to the Marshes, I want to also open up to including photographs from Iraqis in Iraq and the diaspora, because I think that that's also really, really, really important. But without that, it wouldn't be complete. And I wanted to also concentrate specifically on images from that era of the time when the book was made. So Iraqis photographs from that time of that area, mm. you know, sort of, you know, it's an idea of, it touches on reclamation of narratives, but at the same time, I'm not canceling the book. I don't, I don't cover their images fully. I play with sort of like I include them because they are part of the photographic history of the marshes. They are. And so it's sort of like a conversation within a new book that I'm having. And with that, I think, you know, thinking of photographing histories, but not just histories, but also sort of, you know, contemporary photographs of different areas are also very important. Like, I think we need to open up and think about how certain places are being represented. And if we feel like we can add to that, then that's what we should do. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there must be something really particularly interesting about looking 
at historical photographs as well by Iraqis of the marshes because I guess, you know, I don't know, decades ago, people within Iraq might have been producing photographs that weren't yet so heavily influenced maybe by the white Western colonialist visual discourse. I don't know if that's true, but it seems that way to me. Have you found that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. You know, there are, because when I put the call out for photographs from Iraqis, I got a lot of really interesting submissions and I'm still in process of that. And a lot of them were, you know, safe in the 50s. Yes, there hadn't really been a lot of dissemination yet of the photographs that we're used to of, you know, the outsider's view Mm. of Iraq, for example. And so at that time, the images were made either by locals or by people visiting the areas from different parts of Iraq. I think that that's one of the things that's really special about them, because they were taken around the same time, but then they weren't disseminated the way that Return to the Marshes was because it's these two guys from the UK who had, you know, whatever reason why their book got disseminated, published, distributed all over the Arab world. But in a sense, there are still people that look very much up to those books and those photographers and those visions. And the thing is, I would like also for people to look up to people like, you know, the photos that I have received from people and see those and be like, oh, those are amazing and I want to take photos like that, you know, because those people are locals and they saw it also in their own unique way. You know, they also need to be part of the conversation. And I think one of the only books, if we're talking about photography books from Iraq, that was recently widely disseminated was Latif Al-Ani, who they call the father of Iraqi photography. And he's a photographer who has a really wide-ranging archive from the 50s to the 70s, I believe. So Latif Al-Ani's book is interesting because it's multi-layered and there are a lot of photographs that are sort of personal and up close of Iraq, but there are others that are aerial photographs that he took while he was working for the British Petroleum Company Hmm. in Iraq. So there's this kind of feeling of surveillance that comes into these photos. So when you're looking at the book, there are a lot of different layers to it. I think it's called Latif Al-Ani, the book. Uh, His photographs were found or kind of started being disseminated, I think around 2014. When was he photographing? He was photographing in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And I guess this sort of makes me also wonder then about now, when we're looking at archival photographs produced by Iraqi photographers, are we selecting the ones that replicate, or how are we selecting which photographs then we're upholding as uh, really great examples of Iraqi photography. You know, I'm thinking about, especially, you know, when you put out an open call to people to submit photographs from their own archives, through what lens are they approaching that as well? You know, what what are they viewing as good photographs? It almost makes you want to see everything they have, you know, and what they might not be valuing. Yeah. 
I mean, it really, it depends, you know, when you look at archives, whether they're like more contemporary or they're more, you know, more historic, it depends who's looking also, right? Because like who's looking and who thinks what image is the one that is representative. Like I might find an image that's representative of something that I love and then my dad might look at something and then someone that has no connection with Iraq whatsoever might look at it and pick a photo that, well, I mean, a good example is the cover of the book. The cover of the book is basically a photograph taken in Iraq in an area called Taqisra, which is like a historical Iraqi ruin. And it's basically a photo of an older Iraqi man sitting on the floor playing with an instrument called the Rababa. And standing over him are two people, a couple. The caption of the photo is U.S. couple or American couple at Taqisra. So for me, the choice of having this photo on the cover, I mean, it just kind of answers your question. It's like, who decides, like, why is this photo the one that's supposedly the representative photo of all of the photos in that archive in his book? You know, I believe it was published by a German, I'm not sure, maybe a German publisher, but I don't know who made the selection, right? I mean, who was it that decided that the photo of an American couple looking down on this Iraqi man in like, you know, traditional clothes playing an instrument was the right photo to put on the cover of the book? It can be seen in different ways from, you know, different people. I found it problematic. Well, even the caption as well, right? You know, the focus and the caption being on, well, you know, who are we describing in the caption, you know, by describing the American couple instead of the musician. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's just for me was problematic and I wanted to have that conversation about it. Mm. But this is me having a one-sided conversation about it. Because I would have, I want to have a conversation with the person who was like, why did you choose this photo to be on the cover? And why did you not include the man playing the Baba in the caption, you know? Yeah, so to answer your question about the choice of photos and who chooses what and what we see, like everyone sees things differently, depending on where you're coming from. And what you're used to, right? If we're used to seeing things in a certain way, we won't be bothered to really notice things. But then when we start asking questions and we're critical and we start, you know, wanting to create a discourse about the what and the why of photographs and who's in them, then you really start getting deeper in it. You think, I think it's, you know, and it helps you grow as a person. Absolutely. I feel like that kind of visual literacy is something that really should just be included in education from, you know, primary school. Like it's just so images are ubiquitous, right? In our world. Like we can't go through the day without seeing images, but we don't really know how to engage with them critically as a society. No, we don't. We've never had really a big platform, I think, to talk about them, especially with, you know, young photographers that want to be published and, you know, they want their work to be seen. And a lot of times that conversation is just, it just doesn't come up. 
because you're focused on one thing. Like when I was first starting out, like I didn't sit and really, I mean, I questioned things, but not too much. I was like, you know, I want to take photos. I want to tell the story of my people. I want to like right the wrongs, you know, right the wrongs in terms of, you know, visually. But then I'm like, whoa, 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 okay, who am I and what am I doing and why am I doing it, you know? And what are the reasons why this is important to talk about, you know? Why is it important to talk about visual literacy? Why is it important to discuss intention in photography? Mm-hmm. And why is it important to discuss the overall message that your mm-hmm. work is giving? We change, I think, as people over time and you start thinking differently at some point. So I think, I mean, with my photos, I did a lot of photography for the New York Times. And, you know, I did a lot of photography for, you know, international media. But at some point I was like, I don't know if I want to take photos to go with somebody else's words that I don't know what they're going to say. And like, I'm just illustrating articles that are just part of the, you know, media machine that will sort of continue. And for the most part, just like photographic histories and stereotypes, words and articles are all the same. A lot of the, there are exceptions, of course, but a lot of it just repeats the same tropes and the same, even though these days things are a bit, like people get called out on it more, it still happens. It's still, you know, you still have the cover of National Geographic uh, that might be questionable. You still have, you you still, I mean, there are so many conversations that could be had and should be had about photography and ethics. Yeah, absolutely. And what kinds of advice, I guess, with that in mind, what kinds of advice would you give to maybe photographers who are starting out and want to pursue documentary photography? What advice would you give? So what I would say is one of the things that really helped me, you know, when I first started photography or decided that I wanted photography to be my career was to connect with people that were like-minded, to have conversations with other people that seemed to be doing similar things to me or were thinking similarly. Because through people's work and, you know, writing, you can see when people are, when they're on a similar path, right? You can find sort of, in a way, like you find your community. And these days, you know, with Instagram and everything online, it's easier to find, I think, people that you can put your thoughts in line with. Another thing I think is, I always, always, always think that collaboration is really important and doesn't necessarily have to be that you do a project with someone else in terms of photography, but like you just open yourself up to connecting with people, be like, this is what I'm working on. If you see people whose work you think is interesting, you know, you say, hey, what's up? I'm doing this. And I think that it's also important for people to ask themselves, like, try to figure out why you want to be a photographer. If it's just because you want your photos in a magazine, you should, like, consider other reasons why you might want to be a photographer. And... 
What is your why now? I would say, for me, I realized that I'm doing this because it's what keeps me going. It inspires me. It makes me feel like it's a part of who I am. Photography for me, on a personal level, got me out of sort of like a, a hard time that I was having in my life at a younger age. And finding photography and that way of like self-expression for me was really gold. Like it really helped me as a person on a personal level. And then on a wider level, I continue doing work because I hope that the work I do can be part of a conversation, that it can enter conversations with other people who could be doing work with a similar intention. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of us are, a lot of, I would say, when I'm saying us, for example, I'm talking about photographers in the Arab world, a lot of times when we're first starting out, we look at Western photographers as a template to follow. And we look up to them. Because when you're first starting out, you look online, you want to be inspired, and you just find all of these, you find Western photographers because they have books and they have this and that, and they're all over the place. But now, so it's been like 15 years since I first started out. So now there's more. There's more, I think, platforms for photographers from the region. There are more books being made by photographers, whether they're self-published or, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of photographers that are doing that. I think for me, having a conversation is the most important thing. And I think that, yeah, I mean, my advice really going back to that would just be like, just ask questions, be critical. Like, don't just blindly follow a template that you think is the way you're going to have your photo on the cover of Time magazine. For me, it's not about that. And I would hope that for other people, it isn't either. You know, I mean, a photo on the cover of Time magazine is amazing. It's like, you know, it's great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But that's not why, you know, that's not why you should put your all into it. Just consider yeah. a question, have a conversation and be critical. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. And can you tell me what does photography ethics mean to you? Photography ethics means everything to me, I think. It means that I have to think before I photograph. It means that I have to be sensitive when I'm photographing. Um, it's very, very multi-layered and it's, you know, it's... Um, extremely important to think about and should be spoken about more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Photo Ethics Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. Join me next week when we hear from Hannah Fletcher on working sustainably.
If you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you check out our online courses? We've developed a series of three online courses designed specifically for photojournalists and documentary photographers. We discuss questions like, how do we achieve accuracy in our photographs? What's the relationship between power and consent? And when, if ever, should we intervene? These online courses come with perks, like access to an online community group for discussion and Q&A opportunities with me, the course leader. Enroll today at www.photoethics.thinkific.com or go to www.photoethics.org and click online courses. This podcast was edited by Ellie Gascoigne.